from the cream. Um, you do this with alcohol, but cheers. Well, I'm kind of disappointed that we're not drinking at 11. I, well. <laughs> I wish. I was, Actually, I, I was certain that you were going to try to pressure me. No. I think the podcast is making me a bit of an alcoholic. I think I got to take... It's not just crypto? No, that will... It's not just you? That, that makes... Uh, it might just be me in my Irish blood. So we got a little ad-lib intro there. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty. As you, can, as you know, sitting here at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday in Flatiron... Uh, back in Flatiron, at a barstool at Anchor headquarters, uh, the Anchor.fm team was kind enough to host us in their office uh, to to record this podcast. So we got a really cool view overlooking 25th Street, right by the Flatiron building. Um, but time is precious today. We only have an hour, and I have a lot to talk about with my guest. I'm sure you all heard him, uh, but you don't know who he is uh, based off his voice. Uh, he is formerly at a digital currency group. Coindesk uh, and part of the consensus or plan, planning the consensus uh, conference here in New York City. He's since moved on to a new media venture uh, at Masari. Uh, I want to introduce you all to Ryan Selkis. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Well, thanks for coming on. Like I said, time is precious here. Let's just jump right into it. How did you get into Bitcoin? So I got into Bitcoin in 2013. Uh, I'd heard about it a couple of years prior, but at that point, if you wanted to buy Bitcoin, you had to go to a coffee shop and give somebody money for like a USB stick. That didn't seem like a good investment opportunity. Um, and I was actually really heavy into gold at that point and short the US dollar. So it, like, on, <laughs> like every single metric, it was colossally bad trade. But um, it was around like the debt sequester. So I started to think about like, you know, the US, you know, debt crisis and, and, and what is money and, and, you know, what does our reserve currency status look like in 10 15, 20 years as, as China emerges and, and you know, the global economy decouples a little bit from the U.S. dollar. Um, but I didn't come back to it because I'm not an engineer, so I didn't really poke through the inner workings of it at, at all until 2013. And at that point, uh, Fred Wilson invested in Coinbase. The Winklevoss twins came out with their ETF proposal. And the clincher for me was when they shut down Silk Road. Because mm -hmm. then it was clear, like, okay, this isn't just going to be, like, terrorists and, like, kitty pornographers and, and, and you know, uh, the like, it, it could actually really get legs because it was pseudonymous and, you know, yes, it's private and you can take steps to ensure that you're private and, and you have kind of um, unseizable wealth that you can store. But at the same time, if you're actually moving money around and, and facilitating illicit activity, there might be ways to track that through, you know, analytics because it is all available uh, on blockchain. So that was, uh, I made kind of full dive down the rabbit hole in September. Um, was actually in the process of winding down my previous startup, and I had just deferred business school for a year. So I basically was sitting there with 10 months on my hand, which is not really enough time to get another job. But I just had this you know, investment that went up six times in, in about you know, five and a half, six weeks. So you know, I just went down the like, buy, sell, hold type of mm -hmm. investor diligence process. And then, you know, 72 hours later, as you know, you and so many other folks in the industry know, you know, you come out like having like showered and your hair is like, <laughs> and your mind is exploding. And, 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 and from there it was kind of like no turning back. So I started writing pretty much immediately, which I know, you know, you've, you've obviously learned uh, how much value you get just out of writing every day and, and, and being forced to actually put something out there to learn yeah, so about this industry. Jump into that, the, mm -hmm. um, your daily newsletter, which was uh, the predecessor to Marty's bet uh, as the best newsletter in crypto. Yeah, something. I mean, until I like kick it back off with my team in September, and then yeah. you know, yeah, you'll 
No, but like, how? What, no, what, what um, made you want to start the uh, the newsletter? Like, what? Well, I was, what were you I was, thinking? I was you writing, ten months off. Yeah, I mean, I was writing about it and and really just sharing some thoughts with some of my friends from VC, and um, it it was just an email chain, mm-hmm. uh, and and I was you know kind of posting comments and and trying to learn from folks on Reddit, and and you know the fastest way to learn something on the internet isn't to ask a question is to be wrong. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of my friends had suggested, oh, you sh- if you're doing this on Reddit and this, you know, this thing could still implode, you don't want it tied to your reputation. So, you know, you should start a blog, but just do it with a pseudonym. So that's where the tube of idiot was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, within a matter of months, you know, I had a few hundred executive followers because at that point there was no one kind of putting together um, day-to-day info and, and actually having any type of informed commentary about what was going on. And so I had a, a couple, you know, pretty good posts that that people picked up. One was kind of a, an, a back of the napkin on what I thought Coinbase was worth, or at least what they were doing in revenue and and and, and EBITDA. Uh, another was on kind of the the inner uh, circle. Mm-hmm. At that point, circle was two months old. They just raised at, at the time the largest Series A in the industry, and no one really knew anything about them. Um, but I kind of gathered a little bit of, of intel because they were a Boston-based company. I was still up in Boston. And, um, and then from there, you know, things kind of spiraled out of control pretty quickly when I got the Mt. Gox documents and then, you know, broke that story. Oh yeah. You broke. Oh yeah. You did break the Mt. Gox story. I forgot about that. So what, what was that? Let's explain the Mt. Gox story for it. So a lot of the, a lot of the listeners are, uh, relatively new to cryptocurrency, uh, probably came in, uh, last year during the bull market bull market. And I think it's imperative that people know their history in this space. Mm-hmm. And you broke one of the most integral stories uh, in Bitcoin's history, I would argue. So let's let's go back to Mt. Gox. Maybe, maybe the biggest in terms of like mm-hmm. market impact at the time, yeah. right, still. Because, you know, it wasn't just me. I mean, there was a lot of people that were thinking the industry's fucked. Yeah. Right? It was, it was half a billion dollars worth of Bitcoin that disappeared. It was the largest exchange. It was, um, you know, kind of known amongst the insiders in the industry that, that there were a lot of... Yeah, it was a lot of dysfunction at Mt. Gox. Some told us it was solvent. <laughs> yeah, one told us. It was I'm less solvent. controversial these days, so I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm at least I'm trying very hard, so I'm not going to comment uh, on that. I'm not going to make. It. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, but that was that was that was interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. I was uh, at the time I think I you know twenty uh, just turned twenty eight maybe, um, working basically for my kitchen counter. And, mm-hmm. and, and warding off like real trolls, like the real troll army, like the, the hardcore Bitcoiners that just lost their life savings in Mt. Cox, thinking that I was just lying about this and, and, and spreading this news and, and basically um, making it impossible for Mt. Cox to emerge solvent um, because I posted these documents that basically was their crisis strategy draft, essentially them game planning on how they would just hide this they would exit and, then, scam. and then, and then make it all back in terms of, you know, fees, yeah. uh, over, over some period of time, which, you know, based on the, the four different hacks, uh, that, that Malcox had experienced previously is probably a questionable assumption, but the great irony is now everybody's going to get their money back and then some, not in Bitcoin dollars, of course, but, um, in but they, terms, they are going right? to, yeah, they, they are, they are going to make money in yet terms. Yeah. It's, uh, the Mt. Gox saga. It, it never ends. It never ends. It's still ongoing. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, the Mt. Gox trust is, a is a, another source of FUD. Uh, so people are watching that wallet to see when those coins move and they want to blame price movements on that. But uh, that's just a narrative. Um, but 
staying on Mt. Gox, it's interesting to see, because uh, that's like when I first got in as well, and that was like the darkest time in my crypto journey or my Bitcoin journey, I would say. And I think uh, I said this on Pomp, Pomp's podcast yesterday, but I think it's important for people to keep a journal and remember what they felt while these events were going on, because I, I feel in this bear market, I'm a little little calmer, uh, a little, little more at ease having gone back to, to seeing what I felt in 2000, late 2013, 2014, 2015. Um, so don't fret out there, people. This stuff has happened before, and I would argue that this bear market's nothing compared to that. But what, would you, what would you say? Well, it's easy for us to say because we're still way above water. That's right? true. So, you know, anyone's first 70% downdraft, that's, you that know, that's, 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 that's a kick below the belt. So I, uh, you know, I didn't feel great from from the end of 2013 to you know, January of 2015 when when Bitcoin went down almost 90%. Um but, you know, you kind of knew what you were signing up for. You knew that this is hap- that that had happened historically and 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 the thing is the people that kind of passively speculate, they'll say, you know, fuck this and they'll they'll cash out and mm-hmm. that's it, right? But the the ones that actually where where the bubble is the thing that kind of hooks them and then they get into the industry and and do fall down the rabbit hole. I feel like you start to a develop a thick skin, and then b as you see all of this infrastructure getting built out and all these risks uh, getting de-risked one by one, you start to think, well, if I was excited back then, maybe I should put in more money and mm-hmm. and 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 so you know people uh, and, and and I did this too, right? I, I remember uh, being at the Miami conference in January 2015 and. I was on the roof deck with my my now wife, and and somehow she said yes, even though I lost like eighty percent of our money in, <laughs> in, in 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 fourteen months. But at the time, I remember saying like Bitcoin just went down below two hundred. There is like this, 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 and this are happening. These ten different companies just got funded. These like you know dozen entrepreneurs that that are just like world beating entrepreneurs are all in on this. All the major venture capitalists are talking this up. You know this something is out of balance mm-hmm. and like, I want to buy more. And she was like, okay, I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, you know, uh, in, in hindsight looks like, uh, like it was smart, but, uh, but you know, obviously it could have just as easily gone the other way. And I think that's the thing that, you know, uh, you know, whether you call them Bitcoin maximalist or, you know, name your favorite cryptocurrency, I think people, um, they get way too definitive about, well, Yes, we're here now, but we're going to be at a million. <laughs> yes, it's binary, people. It's binary. Yeah, it's still very, still very binary. Um, no, it's interesting. And actually, one thing that comes out of these bear markets uh, is building. And I would argue that what you're doing now, Masari, you guys are building. So before we get to Masari specifically, I think it would be, uh, I think it would be advantageous for us to sort of jump into your history with CoinDesk, uh, what it was like to work there at that point uh, in Bitcoin's history and crypto's history. What you guys are doing there, and then um, if you are able to uh, transition to how you decided to to build Masari, and uh, based off the lessons that you learned at CoinDesk and DCJ. Sure, yeah, it 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 is kind of all part of the same story. I mean, yeah. you know, um, so you know, after Mount Gox, it was about six months. You know, I, I continued to write. I was doing a little bit of consulting, and and you know. I through the newsletter got to know uh, a lot of the industry's execs, mostly because it was it was so small at that point. 
Um, and the Malcox story, you know, everybody knew me, you know, for, for better and for worse. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so I got to know Barry Silberts at, at DCG, um, and joined him before DCG existed, um, as kind of the first skunk works hire at second market that was working on this newly created entity that, that was in the works. Um, and initially given my VC background, I, I just signed up to help him with seed investing. From day one, though, the goal was, okay, I can help you with the fundraise as we go through this transition process from second market to DCG, I can help, you know, we can uh, recruit more members of the kind of core team, we can, um, and and kind of in the process, I can help blocking and tackling on, on, on the investing side. So I did that for about a year, and we closed the fundraise right on cue. Um, we announced that at Money 2020, we met with Jeremy Bonney, the outgoing Coindesk CEO at Money 2020, uh, later the day that we announced around and 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 basically started talking about the acquisition of, of Coindesk. Um, and we already had plans to do a large global kind of flagship conference here in New York in mm -hmm. May, but um, we didn't really have the marketing engine to pull it off. We had all the relationships to get like the speakers, to get you know some of the early sponsors, just given the size of the DCG portfolio and, and kind of how well networked we were. But, um, but we were missing kind of like the front page uh, content marketing funnel. And, and so that's really where Coindesk became interesting um, because, you know, the company was not doing well uh, because the industry wasn't. And, and, you know, the ad revenue model is really, really tough business. Mm -hmm. But they had run a small version of Consensus in September of 2015 that did very well. City Ventures was a, a title sponsor. It was very well programmed. Um, June Ian Wong, uh, who went to Quartz during the transition, actually mm -hmm. is now back at Coindesk. Except he just rejoined. He's uh, doing their South Korea coverage. Yeah. Well, he's or, well, he's I think Europe Asia. and Asia, but okay. he's he's basically been spearheading the Singapore conference. So I'm sure it's going to be great mm -hmm. because you know he, he and Jeremy and 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 a couple others on the editorial team kind of spearhead uh, spearheaded the the September event. So we knew that they had this like this great general media brand. They had this great kernel of a conference, and we could throw a lot of gasoline on it. Um, and so we bought the business in January. I ran the restructuring um, over the next 18 months. Uh, and, you know, we 10x revenue and, and you know, consensus went from a single day 400 person event to uh, in, in last year's events, 2,800 uh, attendees over two and a half days. And, and of course, this year was, was, I think, even triple the size of that. Yeah, this year's was, uh, was a sight to be seen. There's yeah. a lot of people. And that, that, I mean, that's a hell of a business, that, that yeah. event business. It's not super sexy, but they, you know, it, it, once you get the brand and, and, and kind of the network effect, it, it churns out a lot of cash. So that's, you know, a lot of money that can get reinvested. Yeah. And, uh, and so Coindesk is, is in, you know, great shape now. Um, but I left in, I left last summer and, um, and, you know, decided I, I didn't want to do a media business. So you, you introduced Masari as a media business. I'm sorry. Um, no, it's fine. Uh, first page of crypto. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, we're uh, at the end of the day, we're trying to build a, an authoritative data source for the mm -hmm. industry. Yeah. And uh, data by itself is not something that people generally come back to look at day after day after day. So you need to provide some context, some wrapper for data, which is why we've started with the kind of curated content mm -hmm. and research. Uh, and to me, you know, coming at this from, you know, I got the, the newsletter backgrounds, the investor background running Coindesk. Uh, from three different, four different sides of the table, I've been looking at, at crypto's data and information problems for five years now, mm -hmm. which I think puts me in a category of maybe like, you know, three people. Um, and and the one thing that was, was obvious is, 
to actually build a, a trustworthy information resource, you really have three pillars that, that you need to get right. The first is uh, very carefully curated content and research. So what news actually matters, mm-hmm. um, what research actually matters, what, it, what analysis pieces are, are new and, and novel and exciting and not just you know vaporware or marketing jargon. Um, the second is what does the quantitative data say, right? So what, um, what's actually going on not just in the markets for these different assets, but on these different tokenized networks. Um, what are the transaction volumes? What's the fee market look like? Is it, you know, can you measure the centralization or, or you know, wallet uh, activity? Um, but then the third bucket, which really hasn't been captured at all, is um, this disclosures bucket, which we're really focused on. Mm-hmm. And that is, how do you get <clears throat> these uh, token issuers to make certain common sense disclosures about the activity of their ICO, um, which really boils down to, you know, for us, we're, we're not trying to get like an S1 or, or kind of like a full-blown financial report out of out of these projects that actually sell tokens. All we're trying to do right now is figure out who are the verified personnel that can speak on behalf of the project and, and who's um, kind of affiliated with them in, in terms of the core developer team. What are their trusted communications channels, right? So if you see an announcement on this website or this blog or this Slack channel, you know it's coming from the uh, authorized representatives, if you will, um, that are speaking on behalf of that entity. Uh, And then finally, how do you actually measure ongoing distribution of a project's token, right? So many of these projects now have token treasuries that they're unwinding. They've got vesting schedules that apply to the investors, to the advisors, to the founders. You know, some have foundations. Some there, there is no way of actually understanding how this supply is hitting the market. And in a speculative market that's just based on kind of future expectations, one of the only fundamental metrics that matter is what is your expected annual inflation, mm-hmm. right? And that a lot of that's hidden right now because this is all pre-mined mm-hmm. and, 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 and it's distributed over time. So the question of how does this get distributed is, is very material, right? So, um, and Vinny Lingham at, at Civic has, has been you know, very good about this. You know, I, I'm not going to get into like, you know, whether people think it's a good project or not. I know you're probably going to have strong opinions just because of Bitcoin. But I, I he, strong opinions because I think uh, he launched a token and then said he doesn't need a token like a year later. Well, I, I, I don't know that he exactly said that. He, so there, there are shades, shades of gray with like mm-hmm. how the token is needed and, 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 and not. Um, but I don't know. May, I, I don't know exactly what, what quote you're referring to. Regardless, he reached out proactively to us and I'm sure to, to uh, my market cap and several others. And, and, and on the year anniversary of the token sale said, hey, guys, your, uh, your supply information is wrong because we just hit the one year vesting cliff for our tokens. Mm-hmm. So a third of them are now liquid, which by the way, translates into about 30% inflation if, if they were to dump it on the market that day. Um, and they wrote a post about how that, you know, obviously we have no plans on doing this. We're gonna give plenty of advance notice for how we'll unwind secondary, you know, trades of, of these assets. That is not the norm in the industry, right? To even address that right. proactively. So before we can get into, do you need this token or don't you? Let's figure out like who's getting dumped on and like when tokens are, are actually hitting the market, whether you, whether you believe in the tech or not. The market's going to long term, things are going to play out in a way where uh, the market will rationalize and good projects that have tokens that must be held and that actually have some type of value, they'll stay valuable and get more valuable. Others will, they do oblivion. But in the meantime, it helps to know like who's making money on yeah. the way on the way down. 
Um, all right, so two questions here. First, uh, so you've got an, uh, a growing army of analysts, which has been very impressive to see, and they're putting out some uh, very good like pieces that make you think. So that's the first question. What's it been like growing that army? Uh, what tools are they using? Are you just letting them uh, sort of find their own niche within Masari and attack certain vectors? And then two, what are a couple of examples of token projects that you see having long-term value? Mm-hmm. Well, so for the for the army, you know, I, I wrote one post in January and mm-hmm. had about a hundred applicants that said that they were interested in joining and, and kind of helping out early on. So it, you know, we should make clear that this is this is a kind of an organic community. Mm-hmm. These aren't you know paid employees no, or yeah. you know, they're they're just you know contributors to the open source like, library, just like you would have with Wikipedia, right? Exactly, and that's. There's like a thirst to get in. Like everybody wants, like, how do I get a job in crypto? How do I get a job in crypto? And I think this is actually uh, a very good first step for a lot of people. Yeah, and 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 what we said was, you know, from the onset, look, there is no model. Uh, there's no there's no economic model here, right? Anything that gets contributed is always going to be free and open source. Mm-hmm. So if you'd like to contribute, great. We think we're going to build a, a fantastic community. There's going to be a lot of other smart people that are working on the same problems. Um, a lot of people in the process of, you know, do your own research, right? Doing their own research are doing redundant, mindless, uh, work that r- needs to exist in one place, right? Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be, uh, we shouldn't be doing research on what annual inflation is for a given token. We shouldn't be doing research on who is the team. <laughs> we, right. we, we shouldn't be doing research on, on, on where do I find the fucking white paper? Like those are the things that this community has been kind of like slowly cobbling together and contributing to this open repo because it needs to exist as a public commons mm-hmm. some somewhere some some way sometime and um and so the the thinking is you know if you're you're contributing to a, a kind of a greater public good uh if you will and and in the process you're going to get to you know engage with a lot of other like-minded people and a lot of them are going to be in the industry for a long time and 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 i think the way that i was able to make that pitch you know somewhat credibly is I worked in this industry for a year for free, writing every single day with really no monetization plan. Um, and people noticed, right? People noticed uh, Chris Berniski as a junior analyst that wrote a book on the subject. And, and you know, now he's got you know, one of the larger, more, more reputable funds. People know Nick Carter, right? Mm-hmm. There's so many examples of non-engineer, uh, very rapid risers in the industry that are really in a position of prominence for no other reason than they just wrote a ton of really good stuff, you know, stress tested their ideas in public mm-hmm. and, and were able to ultimately earn an audience because of some unique insights. Kyle Samani, you know, and Tushar, like, you know, other, other examples. So there, like, there's a lot of these, you know, folks. And, and I think people look at those examples and say, well, if I'm doing all this research anyway, and I can, you know, have assistance and kind of a second set of eyeballs on, on any, any idea that I'm putting out and I might be introduced to new ideas. And so that's going to help me kind of cross pollinate any of my own pieces. That's going to make me much more valuable. Um, and, and ultimately, you know, help me, you know, break into this industry, uh, in, in, you know, maybe a non-traditional way. And so I, I think that the analyst, I mean, the analysts are awesome, right? Like we have, we have Sunday morning calls, um, with, with the community. And I think the last one, like 40 of the 110 were, uh, we're, we're on the call. So like the, the engagement keeps going up. We've got a discord channel, um, that, you know, continues to see more, you know, daily active and, and, and kind of weekly active contributors and, 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 you know, folks that sign in. 
And it's because we're not just letting in anybody. It's, uh, you know, I, I go on to some of these other, you know, Slack or Telegram groups and, you know, it's funny because like I'll see the pitch decks, right? I still, I still see some of these things and, and you'll see people bragging about the size of their Telegram group. Well, you actually go to the Telegram group and it's a bunch of people's, you know, when airdrop, when moon, like it, it's, it's, it's awful. There's a lot of vapid shit out there. It's awful. That's why I try to confine my uh, data sources to to very uh, very um, uh, tight knit Telegram groups. Yes. Only if it gets too noisy after a certain amount of people. You got to keep it exclusive. You yeah. got to have standards. I, yeah, and and you know, so I think you know we're we're very careful about how we we grow that community. Mm-hmm. Um, I could talk about the analysts all day, uh, but but yeah, the the Masari community is one of the things that I'm most excited about for the project because. Um, they don't stop contributing, right? And and so, even small increases in, in the size of the community will have a very you know large impact on, on on a compounding effect on the quality of information that's in uh, our initial library. And then ultimately, we'll start to get third party data partners that say, well, you know, we've done all this work. We're just going to contribute this as long as we're sourced mm-hmm. and people can link back to us. Like maybe that is going to be a feeder for us for any of the paid products that we have. Right. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I think we're kind of on the cusp of building a really interesting, you know, platform business. Um, that's a way overused term. I just strike that from the record. But, <laughs> but actually, if you think about like what a platform is, I can make the argument that, that we're, we're trying to build a platform. Yeah. Um, so that was a very long answer to part one of your two questions. I like long answers. Um, this, one, this is, uh, yeah, we got plenty of time to. So yeah, I talk, I talk too fast and that's why I get myself in trouble. Um, so part two was which assets do I like? Yeah, which, uh, so mm-hmm. obviously, you know, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist. I'm very skeptical of the token environment in general, just because I am uh, finding it hard to see how any of these tokens accrue value um, and why a lot of them are necessary. Uh, they seem uh, like a, an unnecessary UX step for, for your average user. So when I'm thinking about this stuff, I'm thinking about the people below us on 25th Street right now could mm-hmm. walking around. Uh, could that person work at MetaMask? Uh, uh, extension could that person work a metamax extension could that person like hold a private key and right now where it's at i think a lot of what's going on in the tokenized world in particular is a lot of uh i don't want to say group think but a lot of developer think where it's uh, a lot of developers are building apps that other developers can use uh but they they really are ephemeral uh, after a few weeks like we're seeing with augur which has been one of the most touted uh ICOs the last three years. That's a different token model uh, with rep than a utility token. I would say, right? Correct. They're uh, it's a staking token. Yeah, it's a staking token. Uh, it's all you know. The tax. It depends on your taxonomy, right? Yeah, but it goes back to going back to like user experience. Like the only person, the only in my- I, I could make the argument that people aren't using Augur because the the layers on top suck, right? Yeah, no one's is- making markets yet. There haven't been any markets that have been interesting enough. You know. So, that but, the, but part of it is just, it's, it's very difficult to use. Exactly. So that's my point right now. Like I'm skeptical in the whole space until it, the UX gets improved drastically. And I'm, no. I'm concerned that that may not be possible with, with a, uh, a world with thousands of tokens. It depends on the use case. Yeah. I mean, with, yeah. So, 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 you know, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin was not easy to use for a very long time. Right. Still just not like, easy just to like, use. yeah, still not exactly. So, um, I think. You know, where Bitcoin was in maybe not 2009, but, you know, call it 2012, right? People knew about it, but 
it was still not easy to use, right? That that's probably what you have to think about Augur and Gollum and and some of these DApps and and some of these new utility tokens, staking tokens, whatever that um, that just got launched that are still in kind of the stress testing phase. Mm -hmm. um, and and by what by the way, which which work, but the markets haven't materialized yet. And so that tends to be a UX and, and liquidity issue. Um, and just like how how much of a pain point is the use case that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and to what extent does it need to be decentralized as well? Well, if you look at in-trade, so prediction markets, I, I, I kind of think there's a few very interesting areas um, to, to look at for you know kind of non-money tokens. Um, prediction markets are exciting. Decentralized exchange are exciting. Uh, non-fungible tokens, I think, are exciting. And then, obviously, uh, token curator registries, which is something that we're working on, I think, are, are exciting. And there's going to be more of this, right? But but I, I kind of look you know, very use case specific in terms of what is interesting. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of payment tokens right now. None of those are, are interesting to me, right? No. General governance tokens, not interesting. Unless they're securing some very, very valuable information resource or part of like market infrastructure. And that's kind of more of a staking token model. Um, but uh, you know, I I think I, I try to break things down in, in three buckets. Um, I agree with you. Most of my just so I'll be kind of very transparent, not about the amount or, or proportions, but my only holdings right now are uh, Ether, Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, um, Monero, and Zcash out of kind of the core like money tokens, and that's the majority of the uh, of, of my portfolio. And then uh, the rest is. Decentraland, Zero X, and Filecoin. Um, Very responsible disclosure on Tales from the Crypt. Thank you, Ryan. I, I try, man, yeah. and I don't recommend necessarily that that anyone purchases those because my class base is going to be different than yours. Yeah, right. So, but but for me, it's just you know I'm not I'm not trading. So it's like I bought some of this stuff, mm -hmm. and now I don't really think about it. I evaluate it kind of every few months. But um, the reason for those. Uh, those those investments is is a just like long term. If these end markets materialize, they will be massive. Mm -hmm. And I think that these are kind of like the best in class that are working on these you know different components of of, of the industry. Um, but uh, far and away, I, I agree with you and and you know other maximalists that uh, that that money is the killer app. Mm -hmm. But that's one half of the barbell. You've got this then like very skinny part of the barbell, which is what I would say utility tokens uh, will represent. And then the other massive side of, of the barbell that no one really talks about is crypto securities. Or I guess people are starting to talk about it this year, but that's really an inversion of the whole blockchain, not Bitcoin meme. Um, mm -hmm. But with now, now instead of talking about, oh, we're using the underlying blockchain technology, now it's saying, oh, we're, we're using like cryptocurrencies, but, but using kind of traditional uh, securities frameworks, mm -hmm. right? So it's it, it's like a complete 180 based on you know what what Wall Street could get behind because of the the news cycle. Um, but regardless, I do think that there's going to be some really interesting securitized products that get built that are are very unique to 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 blockchain tech in terms of you know what they enable. Um, so you think about things like uh, you know cross jurisdiction insurance products, right, or derivatives that are unique to you know virtual worlds or prediction markets or uh, any, you know, digital currency uh, itself, like DYDX and, and Dharma and some of those projects kind of come to mind. So I think there's going to be a lot there that's not just let's tokenize the Empire State Building, <laughs> right? Which I don't know how interesting that is. Uh, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, you know, but 
but that we're, we're like 10 years away from that being interesting. What, what you will see across the board is what is a really unique use case according, you know, uh, when it comes to new money, when it comes to new forms of, of capturing network utility, when it comes to securitization. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there, there's obviously a ton of subcategories, particularly in the middle, uh, that, that utility token, uh, barbell and, and, and that could be, you know, on the one hand, resource tokens, you can back into some fundamental value of Filecoin, right? You just look at the replacement cost of file storage or Gollum. You look at the replacement cost of like centralized compute mm-hmm. um, for a staking token. You want to own some amount of a token if it's going to give you the right to earn network fees that are X because that, you know, you can start to think about it like pricing a traditional income producing asset. Yes. Um, so there, there are, you know, there are uh, scenarios where, where these assets have value. The question right now is just, uh, all right, everything's gotten ahead of itself. Everything is wildly overvalued uh, compared to where the, the tech is today. Um, should you buy at these prices? Probably not <laughs> right. for, for, for many of the assets, and, right? But I'm not going to go buy, sell on, 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 on every on pot, single like individual yeah, no. like asset. That's like another. Because I don't know anything and neither does anybody else. That's that's right. That's that's right. Um, like we don't know. Like that's. Uh, I mean, this has been expounded upon many times on this podcast, but nobody knows, me included, what they're talking about. And nobody knows how this is going to unravel. Um, that's why the number of newsletters and podcasts is so entertaining. Because we all know, as the writers of them and the the speakers of them, that, that, that we're just kind of. I think. I think there's so many of these, quite honestly. Um, it's kind of gotten taken to the extreme. Yeah. Right. Like I started writing, I think you started writing just as an excuse to learn. Yeah. Like, I, started, so, right? I was so, unemployed and like people were like, so why not? Reaching right? out. And I was like, you know what? I have this newsletter. The, this is like the equivalent of my like one and a half year old trying to sound out new words. Like the number of newsletters and the number of podcasts is just, right. it's like, this is an excuse for people that don't know what they're talking about to like try to say a new word. <laughs> I, I would, uh, I would agree. Not, and for me, yeah, for me, it's more trying to make it approachable. So I try to bring like the barstool voice to this space because again, like, that's what the better ones do for sure. It's like a mm-hmm. lot of uh, a lot of people reaching out May, June last year. Like, what's going on? Like, I know you've been the, my Bitcoin friend for the last like yeah. four years. Like, what the hell is going on? I was like, all right, I write this newsletter. Those sirens are the New York Department of Financial Services coming after us. We're talking about us. crypto. We don't have our bit license. Uh, we actually had to pay Anchor with Bitcoin, and they don't—they're not registered as a money transmitter, so we're screwed. Yeah. Um, Game over. But uh, yeah, no, it's, I think, and especially in the bear market, I think people are just trying to sort of val—not validate, but uh, try to keep the the hype alive and focus on like the important thing, things, like the building and stuff. So. In the newsletter, I try to stay. I don't talk about price that that often at all, if at all. Um, really, just try to make people think about the ideas revolving around the space, like the idea of uh, anarcho-capitalism, free open source software, sound money, uh, the effects of mining on the environment, and stuff like that. Just focus on those ideas and and how we may be able to change the world. And I think uh, that's what's important, especially in these trying times, trying times, but going back to trying times of Bitcoin at 7,000. (laughs) Right. But going back to like the, uh, like there's a ton of projects that are extremely overvalued right now. Like maybe, maybe like, like there's been a price appreciation the last few days. People are like, Oh, bear market's over. But I'm like, I don't know if you tweeted out like Tron's still at like a billion dollar. I think it might've been Kyle Samani. It's like Tron's still at like a $10 billion market or something like that. Like, 
this bear market is is nowhere near where yeah, i mean joe weisenthal be. does that too like yeah, <laughs> yeah. playing the home game dental coin is still 130 he, he said on, he said on, <laughs> he, uh, that's like his his barometer for whether we've actually hit a capitulation which i think is kind of a good one on the episode he i posted yesterday with him uh he said you'll know uh, when the bear market is hit in earnest, when when Bloomberg journalists are are too embarrassed to come on a crypto podcast, it's uh, it's, it's uh, you, you change your you change your uh, your LinkedIn to to make it look like you never worked in crypto, and and you, and you go on to something new. Yeah. Um, we'll see. There's a there's a there's a lot. I just think that I should change my LinkedIn to blockchain thought leader. Oh my god, LinkedIn LinkedIn. What do you think? Could I get away with that? I think. I mean. <laughs> On the, you probably get hit up. Uh, that's, by basically all, that's basically all. That's basically all LinkedIn is used for right now. I all I get is spam on that I, piece of shit network. So I, I, I might it. as well just go all in on like the thought leader <laughs> angle and see see if that like has some type of reverse the uh, psychology like, on on the the pollution that is my my in mailbox. There's a lot of scammers out there, especially on LinkedIn. I uh, I just use LinkedIn to syndicate the newsletter. I just like post it and then forget about it for the day and yeah. then show up 9 a.m. the next morning like what the hell's going on on this vapid site um all right back to cryptocurrency let's talk about token curated registries so what's the whole idea behind it what um what are the mechanics of how it works i know you're thinking about uh launching a token to make this happen but you're very uh very open to ideas of how the this registry can be created um, yes and it's definitely nothing that's completely fleshed out yet correct mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not. I mean, we're we're kind of iterating on it in real time. Yeah. So, uh, so first disclaimer: um, we have no intention of selling this to non-accredited investors. Okay. The natural users of a token in our system are going to be exchanges, funds, underwriters, maybe the projects themselves, all, all of whom have some vested interest in uh, creating a, a transparent library of disclosures for this mm -hmm. industry without a top-down kind of enforcement mandate from any one regulatory body. So that's the kind of the starting point, right? Like, no, don't expect to, you know, see this on on you know any publicly listed crypto exchange anytime soon. Um, so with that said, so a token curated registry is essentially a way to bootstrap a credential mm -hmm. without some trusted issuer of that credential. So it's a decentralized Morningstar or something like that. Not ours in particular, mm -hmm. right? But but if you think about lists mm -hmm. and credentials uh like any kind of information heuristic that we use it's it's actually probably one of the few use cases in crypto that's older than money right what plants should you eat um what are what are kind of the rules of the village right? you, you trust the village elder to just kind of like hand those down from on high mm -hmm. right and today it, it's actually not that different right we trust the harvard and and ivy league and stanford uh you know admissions councils to vet really high quality candidates and we expect that if they have a diploma from those universities and they're worthy of some job they're worthy of some uh respect for their kind of intellectual uh curiosity and abilities um if you want to go to a doctor uh you're going to expect that they have a pretty good medical license if you're going to and and if the stakes get higher and you're going to go to a neurosurgeon you want to make sure that it wasn't you know a, a small caribbean school you want to see like the <laughs> like the the harvard diploma on the wall, right? Mm -hmm. Because you have some expectation that, that credential is weightier, is meatier than, um, than what you, you know, would get from just not having that information, right? If they're, if, if your buddy just said, you know, go talk to this guy, he's, he's going to take care of you. Um, 
so I, I think we agree that there are some credentials that have intrinsic value because people are very clearly willing to pay for those credentials mm-hmm. in some form over time, whether it's an investment of work, an investment of kind of time and energy or, or, or actual capital, right? With, um, with a TCR, the assumption is some lists, some credentials can be better curated the, the body of, of you know, the membership of folks that get that credential, that get that recognition on a list will be higher quality because it is not just top-down mandated. And so what you have to look for with a, a TCR, uh, at least one that's going to work, is some market that is dysfunctional because there's a global coordination problem. Mm-hmm. In crypto, that could be regulation, right? These assets trade 24 seven, they trade uh, cross border. It's a game of whack-a-mole. It's just a, the, the resources are not there for every global regulator to, to crack down on, on issuances and trading of these assets um, just because you can route around them, right? Mm-hmm. And without a global regulator that sets standards on disclosures, you can't have a global self-regulator because self-regulatory bodies get their mandate from top-down regulatory bodies, mm-hmm. right? So the CFTC has the natural, uh, National Futures Exchange, the SEC has FINRA. Um, those bodies exist, you know, because of the SEC and the, and the CFTC. I found out, uh, I have a buddy who works at FINRA. I found out, I didn't know they were public until, they were like a public corporation until like last weekend. It blew my mind. I thought they were always a government entity. Yeah, I mean, so it was like the National Association of Securities Dealers mm-hmm. and then uh, the, the the self-regulatory component of NICE um, yes. merged to create FINRA back like five uh, well, I'm gonna botch the dates, but some some in the 2000s, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, so so with with crypto, you don't have necessarily an SEC. You don't necessarily have a FINRA that's going to say here are the standards for disclosures and kind of ongoing reporting if you're a token issuer. Mm-hmm. But we all agree that this is a problem. So how can we agree on very bare bones disclosures, very remedial bits of information that can be a starting point for some. Uh, you know, transparency policies and disclosure policies across the industry. Well, one thing that we could do is we could create a whitelist of projects that meet these minimum standards, and we could have that governed by all of the global exchanges, the major uh, investment funds that are, are participating in the ecosystem, and any underwriter or, or potential you know, broker-dealer by another name. Um, we could have them actually vote on who should get onto this list. Mm-hmm. And if they do the work, to actually assess whether a given candidate is eligible or should be eligible, then they should be able to reward the app, uh, uh, earn the application fees that those issuing projects pay to get onto the registry. Now, just because you apply doesn't necessarily mean that you get on, mm-hmm. right? You could still lose your fee and, and not get on. So there is a um, an expectation that if you pay the application fee, you think you can get in. Just like you know, you don't apply to Harvard if you have a two five in, in high school. And you know, you just play video games. Yeah, hey, it was pretty time. ambitious, right? What's that? It was pretty ambitious. No, I'm you know what? Uh, well, yeah, if, if, yeah, yeah. I mean, a guy like you should have been admitted to, to Harvard. <laughs> if, uh, no, no questions asked. No way. But, um, but I, I think you, you you get the comparison, right? So, so there's a certain standard. There, uh, uh, there, there needs to be a large enough fee pool mm-hmm. that makes it exciting for the token holders to actually participate in the, in the governance, of the ecosystem, the curation of the list. And if you can do that, if you can bootstrap both sides of that network, then you ultimately can bootstrap a credential mm-hmm. um, out of out, basically out of thin air. It sounds like a scary thought to hardcore anarcho 
anarcho-capitalist Bitcoiners having gatekeepers credential projects. Um, what would you say to people who are like, this is sort of anathema to, to the... I would say it's an anarcho-capitalist dream. I, I mean, what, you know, I'm, I'm more on that side of the fence. And I actually think that markets are going to replace a lot of the existing top-down command and control structures that we have. Mm-hmm. So we should be able to do a, a much better job than the SEC or any of its international counterparts with a market solution. Yeah. Right? This is... In my eyes, this is like the opposite of scary. This is, you know, the the government is simply not going to be able to, because of structural uh, challenges, mm-hmm. get a proper handle on this industry. So how can we reward no good activity um, and penalize bad activity to the extent possible? Because mm-hmm. um, you're always going to be able to regulate like centralized choke points. So. Uh, I think market solutions are needed for decentralized ecosystems. And then the regulators, by the way, still should and will be able to um, crack down on exchanges, on centralized issuers that are clearly violating securities laws that are clearly fraudulent. You know, that's not going to change. But um, what does change is is the market is able to self-police a little bit more and the, the folks that are involved in that self-policing have some economic incentives. Yeah, but going back to like the gatekeeper thing, if it's just exchanges uh, and sort of these huge economic players, like maybe that leaves out the the anon crypto Twitter sort of self policing that's been going on for years, or you're stopping to crypts, your Dan Dark pills who have been calling out scams uh, and sort of curating their own version of uh, of following these token projects and calling out their fickleness and some of their their. Yeah. Uh, unethicalness is that a word it's 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 um, tcr is so, it's a, it's an initial distribution problem right so yeah. it, it, i i concede that it's not a perfect solution mm-hmm. um to to have to exclude anonymous yeah. uh, participants but i would say that um identity does matter uh it, it, to to some extent now whether that that identity is a pseudonymous actor that people have built trust in mm-hmm. um or if it's a centralized entity that you you know where the headquarters is um I think long term it doesn't really care for you know for us legally to get this off the ground amidst all the you know uncertainty. Um, it kind of has to be done this way with known third parties that that are regulatable, mm-hmm. um, because the signal that it sends is you know we have a vested interest in getting this right because we don't want to go to jail and we want to be perceived as being part <laughs> of the solution right? a, at, the, at the extreme. It's right? everybody's goal right now. Let's just not go to jail. I mean, it's in some respects, it's it's, have, it's not a it's not an invalid concern. No, um, I think it's a very un- underscored concern in the space, in particular. But at the end of the day, no one that does you know white collar crime goes to jail. So it's, it's <laughs> you know no one. I'm not right. gonna I'm not gonna name names, but there are yeah. certain projects that are 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 no one's gonna go to jail. Um, Even the bigger the scam, the more more you get away with. So yeah. I again, I'd, I'd argue that a, a market based solution is going to be much much more effective. Let's not even talk crypto, right? Elizabeth Holmes got what a half million dollar fine yeah, and probation. I was it's fucking wasn't, bullshit. I wasn't going to bring up like everybody knows it, right? Uh, and 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 yet we just kind of pretend. Oh, she got penalized. No, she didn't. All that shows is if you have enough clout and you have enough capital and and you tried, she defrauded. She yeah. defrauded her investors like a billion dollars, and then. Yeah, potentially more. And then so yesterday is another happy brought up like in traditional finance, like the CFTC just fined yeah. uh, German bank Hamburg, Hamburger Spassky. I forget the last name, uh, but for like seventy five million dollars for 
manipulating a derivative of the U.S. dollar on like on a futures exchange. So yeah, this, manip- th- this stuff happens all the time, right? It's just so seventy-five so- million dollar slap on the wrist is nothing for for a bank at that yeah. scale manipulating that. They probably made. It's a joke. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the only people who go to jail are the are, are the little guys, right? I mean, you know, that's it's never that's why sorority girls don't go to jail for cocaine, but you know, <laughs> black men still go to jail for crack, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm not trying to be like let's just call it what it is, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like a a societal like structural issue, and I I would very you know strongly argue that a a, a market solution that actually rewards penalties and um and rewards kind of equally. Right, regardless of, of who the applicant is, regardless of the size and kind of economic influence, um, and in some cases actually provides an outsized reward for the bigger whale that you take down mm-hmm. um, if they're acting, you know, maliciously or or or, or una- uneth- unethically. I think that's you know that's a pretty powerful incentive mechanism. Yeah, and so where are we now on the course of? Uh going from zero to token curated registry is off the ground aware exactly in that process. Well, they, have you found uh, yourself what have you learned so far? Well, there are, but there are uh, a couple of TCRs out in the wild, right? The, the ad chain guys launched theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, and what you pretty quickly saw, this goes back to the initial distribution problem that I talked about. Um, those can, they can devolve pretty quickly into populist rule. Yeah. Like Facebook and the New York times were blacklisted from the ad chain TCR <laughs> as like malicious, organizations when it comes to like ad quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there's a reason for that, right? And it's political. <laughs> so these, these things uh, are, are by nature political. Uh, so identity matters and, and, and kind of the voting structure matters. The way that we've thought about this is um, it's, it's a fool's errand to expect people to buy tokens in a system and actually do the work and vote um, according to the work that they've done. Because if you're a crypto fund, and you own 1% of the TCR, you're not gonna do the same amount of work as 99 other analysts for 1% of the pro rata network fees. Just mm-hmm. doesn't work like that. So so what you will see, I think, is something that looks a little bit more like the big four long-term, but hopefully a more liquid version of it or, or, or a more modularized version of, of like the big four accounting firms where to validate the kind of quality of reporting of a token project or really any, it could be, it could be an individual. It could be, you know, a a non-token entity, like, you know, just to actually verify that a a given um, organization or person is abiding by certain standards. Um, I think, you know, you, you need to be confident that those uh, organizations are, are ultimately going to be kept in check by known entities. Mm -hmm. Uh, If it's, just, you know, a bunch of bot accounts, <laughs> essentially, where, where it could be one person that owns the entire supply and then votes against the XRP army take over. Yeah. I mean, then, then, you know, it's, 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 it's not ultimately going to be a, a very good list, but the, you know, that there is another element where, um, your incentives, unless you want to kill the list for some reason, your incentives are to be very, uh, judicious about how, decentralized that list of voters is because if it gets too centralized then the value of the credential goes down mm-hmm. arguably yeah. yeah and that's um that's a interesting problem you're trying to solve and it's been fascinating watching you and that's the one thing i like about your twitter presence is your you're, you're finding this out and sharing your your findings in the open uh with the community which has been um yeah i still think that we're too early to just like build something in a vacuum and then expect that it's going to be brilliant right especially me 
Uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe there are some people in the industry that can do that. I mean, even even like even the like the smartest folks in the industry, you know, like Zuko is one of the most transparent folks in the industry, and and you know, I I'd, I'd put him in the in the category of smartest folks in crypto. Yeah, I mean, he was working on Jim McCoy's. Uh, was it Mojo Nation? Mm-hmm. And it was like one of the predecessors. Jim, aka Satoshi. Yeah, that's <laughs> what people think. That's yeah. one of the theories. He's, you, he's you, you wrote about that, right? Uh, yeah, it, it actually wasn't my initial idea. There was, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember who it was, but I remember he didn't want to be. Um, uh, who, whoever sent it to me just didn't want to be affiliated with the post, so I was, okay. I just kind of stole it. Okay. But I, I told people it wasn't my kind of original <laughs> idea, but but I, I checked out all the research and it it, it was pretty interesting. So that's the um, yeah the Satoshi finding Satoshi. Do you believe that uh, Craig Wright is one third of Satoshi by by chance? Did you? Not, I'm not sure. Nah, no, I'm honestly not sure because and and so this is the the real madman take that I have on Craig Wright. Um, and and part of it is also you know kind of related to Nick Sabo now. Like I, I just I just looked on Twitter and I was blocked. I was like I've never. Oh, <laughs> I was like what happened? Nick's been going hard, right? Uh, yeah, I know, I know. And 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 maybe it's the same playbook. But what I've what I've said with respect to uh, Craig Wright is, um, if you were Satoshi, and people suspected you of being Satoshi, one really great way to hide in plain sight would be to act completely uber irrationally. Yeah. So people just like automatically discredit you and, and to do exactly what he did, which is like prove to some people that he was Satoshi and then, you know, and then have it called into question by all the other really smart people in the industry and then just say, I don't have the courage to do this anymore. And then, but screw you, I have more money than your country, right? Like, so like, so, so, you know, you have someone that, you know, in, in some parallel universe or in this one, who knows, could actually be just hiding in plain sight. That's, it's a beautiful thought. And that's another binary thing. It's like a Schroeder, Schrodinger's uh, box. I mean, the thing is, I don't really care. Like, I've lost, I've kind of lost interest in this. I like the fact that there's ten people that peop, uh, that that uh, are suspected of being suspected, Satoshi. Yeah. Like, the more suspects we have, the more that risk is. The more the uh, is, yeah. is you know dispersed. The centralized leader risk is dispersed. Um, yeah. So let's let's jump into like how how. Are you optimistic or pessimistic of the future of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general? How have your thoughts changed since 2013? I was actually thinking about this. You doxed your age uh, on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, uh, when you were talking about uh, where you've come in the last five years, you were 27 five years ago, and I'm in a similar position now. Like, I'm 27 now, and it's like, what what can I expect between 27 and 32, like what you just experienced? And, and uh, so I would like to get your thoughts on uh, are you more optimistic than you were maybe five years ago? And, and what is driving your optimism or pessimism at this point? I'm very optimistic mm-hmm. for just the, the future of crypto in general. Um, and I think we just got the five minute warning. So, so this is maybe, maybe a good topic to end on. I, I think I'm, I'm very optimistic on, on the future of crypto in general. Do I think we're going to see another hundred X for, Investors, who knows? I mean, maybe, mm-hmm. but that's going to take, you know, not years, but maybe decades to get to that that level of penetration. I think. Um, so I think the 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 best time to get involved in the industry was you know five years ago. The next best time was four years ago. The next best time was three years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, and that's kind of a good thing, right? Because it's, it's getting a little bit more mature. So you're able to attract more people with different risk prof profiles. Mm -hmm. It's still early enough where this is very wild west, particularly in the non Bitcoin assets or, or in kind of layer two, like, you know, building stuff on lightning or building, uh, things that, that, you know, could ultimately, uh, sink back into the Bitcoin blockchain through either side chains or, or one of these interoperability solutions, you know, tendermint or, or, or what have you. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's still kind of day one in the Jeff Bezos, like internet terminology. Mm -hmm. And, and unlike you, I actually think that there's green fields in thousands of potential decentralized applications and projects. Mm -hmm. Um, none of which are going to be interesting anytime soon, but many, many of which are going to actually restructure our society. Um, and the internet already has in so many ways, obviously, but um, we're clearly seeing that it impacts literally everything, not just certain verticals, right? Certain verticals were first, newspapers, right? Now we're starting to see politics. Nation states. Like, like, like nation states, like rising and falling. Arab Spring was a precursor, then Brexit, then Trump, right? So like this whole sovereign individual thesis, it, it is playing out. And that I think is one cause for, for concern and, and, you know, yeah, uh, it, it gets a little scary when you take things to the logical extreme, but I think if people are are building with a long term mindset, um, there's a really good book by this guy Matt Ridley mm -hmm. called The Rational Optimist, mm -hmm. and it's basically been like every single like eon of human history or, or every single major you know disruptive change. Uh, people always look ahead like ten years and basically say the world's going to end in the next ten years, and it never does. And life always you know generally gets better. Um, so that's kind of like always in the back of my mind on one hand. And then the other hand, it's, it's like the Nassim Taleb, like every Turkey has a great life until Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so I, I have no idea which of those, maybe it's, it's both. combo of both. Right? Yeah. I mean, ultimately we're all going to be, you the, know, the rational optimist, stardust. So the rational optimist is uh, staring at me on my bookcase. It's been up there. I've got, I've yet to get it. Not, not here, but in my apartment, I'm visiting okay, my okay. apartment. Okay. Um, but, uh, that's one I got to get to. Um, yes, we are pressed for time. Do you have a parting note for the freaks out there? Uh, listen to a variety of sources. Mm -hmm. Don't don't just get sucked into fandom of of any one newsletter or podcast uh, or or opinion leader or technology leader in uh, in crypto because all of them are going to be wrong. I would agree. There's there's a, many views out there, uh, but this is a good one. To listen to. Oh, thank you. Oh, and, and I say that because you, I think, are one of the few like actual maximalists that has a decent sized audience. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to come on because everybody else is like very, um, I'm not saying this a bad way, but everybody else is, 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 you know, very open-minded about like all these other applications. It's, it's good to have like an extreme, like, uh, focused personality that's, that's diving in and, and it just doesn't become a, uh, uh, you know, you interviewing Bitcoin folks. No, I'm trying to, I'm trying to expand expand to this was kind of training wheels because i mostly agree with you <laughs> but i also see the like yeah, the, I the get, upside i gotta of get vitalik other in here we gotta we gotta talk it out um <laughs> I, know, I think he would just like i'd be there like what did you just say uh but maybe yeah. you should maybe you should start with the consensus guys uh, yeah should i should get lane reddick on here he's not with consensus but um he is part of the the upper echelons of the ethereum development team um but that's all we have this week freaks peace and love thanks for coming on ryan Thank you. Boom, boom.